0: Okay, if you want to find 1 Peter uh, in your Bible, uh, the book of 1 Peter is uh, a letter written by the Apostle Peter. Um, we talked, I gave a little bit of an introduction to the letter last week, and you can listen to that online. We have a, a podcast that goes out every week where you can listen back, which I hope all of you do already. I obviously listen to myself and on a regular basis. Um, so if you want to find one Peter, I'm going to read a couple of verses, and then I'm going to pray, and hopefully this will appear as if by magic on the screen behind me. Here we go. Uh, you'll notice this is in uh, English and in Dutch. Uh, they're slightly different. The Dutch isn't a direct translation of the English, so if the words don't quite line up, it's because they're from different Bible translations. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let me pray. God, we thank you so much for everything that we've received through the work of Jesus Christ. We thank you that we can walk in the fullness, the goodness, the abundant blessing of what you've done for us, Jesus. For those of us here who are believers in you, followers of Jesus Christ, we know now we've been born again into this new life where we can know you, Jesus, living within us and we can sing Christ in me you've come to make your home within our hearts we thank you so much for that God we pray as we study these words together this morning that you speak to us, you'd speak strength and encouragement and faith to us I pray for anybody here that doesn't know you Jesus, that isn't a follower of you or maybe they're not sure I pray you'd speak to them as well Father that you'd You'd speak gently to their hearts. You'd reveal your power. You'd reveal your love for them. I pray that everybody here would know richly your love and care for them this morning. Amen. 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 In the book of Luke, Jesus said, said this. He said, Sell your possessions and give to the needy. And We live in a, in a world around us that's preoccupied by possessions, by things, by getting more stuff, getting more money, more clothes, more devices, more gadgets. That's what people around us do. That's what we can do. Yet Jesus, very simply and powerfully says this, sell your possessions and give to the needy. And now, I don't know about you, but when you read things like that, when you read some of the things that Jesus said, when you read what's called the Sermon on the Mount, with Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God is like, when you read those things, it's easy to think, well, surely Jesus didn't mean it quite like that. Surely Jesus was, he, he was trying to make a point, but that, he didn't mean it quite in that way. I was reading my Bible earlier this week, and I came across Matthew 10, where he says, Jesus says, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, which is a provocative verse. Also in Luke, a couple of chapters after this, he says... So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And again, we can read verses like that, and we can think, okay, you know, tone it down, Jesus. We can think maybe, maybe this is just exaggeration or kind of hyperbole, which is where you deliberately exaggerate something to make a point. And there are times when Jesus does that. He says in Matthew 18, he says, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. And he goes on to say, "And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Now, I don't know many people here that are walking around with only one eye or one arm because they sinned and they ripped their eye out in a fit of rage. You know, we, we, we understand what Jesus is saying here. But the thing is, sometimes... We can take the words of Jesus and we can, we can twist them and we can kind of water them down so that in the end they just lose any of their meaning, any of their power. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German pastor and theologian during the Second World War, he's got an amazing story of his life, how he was, ended up, was, was killed by the Nazis towards the end of the Second World War. You should read his story, it's remarkable. But he said this, he said this about how sometimes we can twist the meaning of what Jesus says. He uses this example. He says, if a father sends his child to bed, the boy knows at once what he is to do. If I send my kids to bed, it's a very clear instruction, go to bed. But suppose the child has picked up a smattering of our pseudo-theology. In that case, he would argue more or less like this. My father tells me to go to bed, but what he really means is that I'm tired. He does not want me to be tired. Therefore, though the father tells me to go to bed, what he really means is go out and play. (laughs) And we can read stories like, uh, or we can read verses like this behind us and think, oh, well, Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. But what he really means, if we twist it in a certain way, is that we should build up more and more possessions. We should get more and more money. We should get as much as we can, and then maybe we'll give a few bits away here and there. That's often how we can take verses like this and treat them. Now, the thing is, there is something in our, I think even in our hearts, really, that objects to verses like this, and I'm really pushing us on this because I want us to hopefully see something this morning, because in our, in our individualistic world, we, we're trained to think that there are certain things that are ours, and when those certain things become ours, they become Untouchable because they belong to us, they belong to me. Property, clothes, furniture, food, computers, our bank balance, there are certain things which we're trying to think, well, that's mine and nobody can touch it. Which is, when you get married, the, one of the, the first things that Joe and I did was we went to the, the bank and we opened up a joint bank account. Which is a radical step if you think about it, because you're saying you're not just saying we, we said in our vows, you know, what's mine is mine and what's your well, how are you said, what's what's yours is mine and what's you know what I mean. You can see what I said and what Joe said might have been two different things, <laughs> but we went to the bank account and we said, well, we're we gonna we're not just gonna say some vows. We want to we want to take this seriously. We we want to we want to live. Uh, with a practical outworking of those promises that we made to each other, that's what's mine is yours, (laughs) and yours is mine. That even if for a season I'm the one earning all the money, or Joe's the one earning all the money, that we're going to share it. That this isn't just mine anymore. And yet the world around us trains us not to think like that. Even for our kids, you'll notice it with children, one of the first words that they learn is mine. (laughs) If you've ever been into a nursery and you see kids, it's one of those words that transcends all languages, that every child knows what it means. Mine. And they'll grab and they'll hold things. It doesn't matter if it's the first time they've ever laid eyes on that toy, it's suddenly mine. And that's something within our heart that, that says that. And yet, in the Bible, in Haggai, God says the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. In Psalm 50, God says for the world and all its fullness are mine. That means everything. Everything. There's no way around that. And even as Christians, <laughs> we, we tend to quote verses like that when we wanna get something out from God. I've done that. You know, at the moment, Joe and I are in the process of trying to buy a house here. We're selling our house in England, trying to buy one here. So I'm praying lots of prayers like that. God, all the silver and gold belongs to you, so give me some of it. (laughs) You own the cattle on a thousand hills, is another verse. So give me some, not literal cattle, because that'd be weird, but give me some of what you have. We read those verses when we, we want something out of it, rather than just reading them when actually maybe we need to give some things away because they don't really belong to us anyway. It's all God's, it's not really my bank balance anymore. See, this message, what Jesus is saying, it's not just a radical countercultural instruction. It's not supposed to make you feel guilty, but this is actually the best news you'll ever hear. It genuinely is. If you, if you understand this properly, this will release you. Because what Jesus goes on to say, as the verse carries on, is he says this. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Where he says money bags, what he means is the place where you put your money, your bank account. In the message translation of this Bible, it says, get yourself a bank that does not go bankrupt. When we invest in the kingdom of God, we're investing into something that won't go bankrupt. We're laying aside treasures in heaven And yet all around us and in our own hearts, we want to build up treasures for ourselves. We want to build up our own inheritance. We want to get as much in as we possibly can. And Jesus turns that completely on its head and says, that won't make you happy, it won't. Actually what will make you happy is investing in someone else's kingdom, in God's kingdom, in giving it away because it's not even mine anyway. And if you invest there in his kingdom, it won't fail. No thief will steal it away. It won't fall apart. Because what what I don't mean is that you'll suddenly get to heaven and you'll find, oh, yeah, all all that money that I gave away, look, it's right here in this box waiting for me, this kind of box at the end of a rainbow. Jesus is saying it's not actually about money. There's something so much better that he's laid aside for you. And that's what this verse is in 1 Peter about, is about. He says that, we're, that there's an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading that's kept in heaven for us. See, while we want to invest and save and put money aside, and it's good to be, to be wise in how we run our finances, but God has already laid aside an inheritance for us. That's what I want you to get hold of in your hearts this morning. There's this wonderful verse in in Proverbs where it says, "This a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children." Some of you are writing that down, and you're going to text that to your granddad right now. <laughs> I was praying for you this morning, granddad, and uh, I felt that God gave me this verse for you. Just, I don't know why. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. It means that God as a good, good father has laid aside an inheritance for you that's greater than any silver or gold, that's greater than any financial gift you could receive, any car you could own, any house you could buy. There's something greater that God's laid aside for you and when we start living for that rather than for our own financial gain, that's when we suddenly find this beautiful freedom. See, because the inheritance that our Father in heaven has laid aside for us is, first of all, it's imperishable. It's imperishable. It won't, it won't decay or get eaten away. It won't kind of get whittled down and then suddenly disappear. And sometimes sometimes even if you're here and you're a Christian and you, you kind of know, because you read verses like this, you know that there's something that God set aside for you. But sometimes we can feel like, well, I feel like I've whittled it down a little bit this week by my actions, by how I've, how I've, what I've been thinking, what I've been doing, the fact that I've sinned, I've let God down. You can feel like you've been whittling away this inheritance. You've just been throwing it away. Just losing it. And sometimes we can feel like that. That that we're we're perishing our inheritance. My my grandma, she has dementia. Uh, It's been for about 15 years, kind of getting progressively worse. And um, so a while ago, my dad took control of her finances because... She didn't really know what money was anymore. She would, she would go to the shops uh, and every week she'd just buy jam and biscuits. That's all she would ever, sorry? Yeah, she'd actually buy it, she'd steal the jam because she didn't know how money functioned anymore. And the, what happened was the shop moved, the, they used to have the till by the front door. So she'd get it stuff and then she'd, she'd pick up her jam and then she'd walk towards the front door and the till would be there. So she'd think, oh, um, what's this for, and someone would say, oh, you need to pay for that, so she'd pay for it. But then they moved the tools so they weren't by the front door anymore. So you just pick, out the jam, pick the jam up, walk out the front door, and no one was there. So, uh, so for years, my mum and dad would go to a, her house and find all this jam, because every day she'd buy a fresh pot of jam. And they didn't know what to do with all, so they used to give it to us. So for years, we lived off illegal contraband stolen jam. <laughs> like, we did, it's true. But uh, the supply's now been cut off, unfortunately, so <laughs> my dealer has gone bust, so there, there we go. But, but um, why am I telling you this? But, so my dad took control of her finances and then every year at Christmas, he would give me and my brothers and sisters and my cousins a cheque, some, some money, because he, w- he was aware that to pay for her, her ongoing care uh, was costing a lot of money. And and all the money from her selling her house and everything that she built up over the years was just getting slowly whittled away. It was perishing. So he would just give us checks quickly before it all went. And then one day it was gone. and, And we don't receive a check at Christmas anymore from my grandma because the inheritance has perished. It's gone. But the inheritance that God's laid aside for us is imperishable. It can't get whittled away. It can't go off. It can't just disappear. It's also it's it's undefiled. What that means is it's free from contamination. It's not earned by any dishonest means. It's not it hasn't left anyone disadvantaged. There's nothing wrong or illegal about it. And sometimes we can feel like, well, I just don't I just don't deserve this because I'm defiled because I've done wrong I don't deserve this This is, But God says it's undefiled It's pure You get to receive this beautiful inheritance It's also It says it's, it's Unfading It's unfading it won't, it won't lose its appeal Most of us If you're anything like me You suffer from shiny New toy syndrome Where where you see something, you know, an, an advertisement, or you'll see your friend has something, and you think, oh, I want that. I want to get the new iPhone. And in your head, it becomes this amazing, marvelous, life-changing thing. And then when you get it, you realize it's just a phone. Like, okay, it, wow, this, this, this calls people. <gasps> Revolutionary, I can send messages to people. And it has some smart gadgets and can do some clever things. But suddenly, you, you, you're, this this appeal that you felt begins to fade, and then the thing that you brought begins to fade. You know, it slows down a bit, or maybe Apple deliberately slow it down. Who knows? <laughs> it begins to fade, It begins to lose its luster. It begins to kind of go wrong. You know, you drop it and you break the screen, or you know, after a while, it's just not as appealing anymore. And then you want another one, but then that fades and loses its appeal. But yet, the inheritance that God leaves aside for us doesn't lose its appeal. It doesn't fade or diminish or grow dim. It's also, it's, it's kept aside for us. It says it's kept in heaven for you. See, Peter, in the passage here, he skips from talking about us to you he's appealing to us directly he's writing to us directly and he's saying that God has already set this aside for you it's not something that's yet to be earned it's not something that you just need to work a bit harder for it's reserved it's been kept aside for you it's there already it's it's waiting for us and, you know, it's funny when, um, as I said before, Joe and I are, are in the process of trying to buy a home here, and it would make it a whole lot easier if I could just suddenly receive an inheritance. If, if I could, I unfortunately, I don't have any mega rich relatives, but if I did, you know, if they could just sort of die, then all of a sudden... <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm kind of joking but some of us have thought even prayed like that like if I could just receive that inheritance if I could just get my hands on what they have then, then I could suddenly be able to do this I could suddenly be able to have this house I'd suddenly, I'd suddenly be happy but then I know what happens because I've owned a house before and we've all lived in houses that, that the thing is it begins to perish you know the dishwasher stops working the boiler goes wrong you know, we discover it's, it's kind of defiled, it's tainted. You know, there's asbestos in the roof. Or the foundations begin to rot away. Or the decoration begins to fade and grow dim. <laughs> Everything looks a bit dated. What I'm saying is, is it, it, it won't satisfy you. It might make you temporarily happy. It's not just about a house but Anything like this, there's all sorts of things that we put our trust in. And we say, when I get here, then all my problems will suddenly stop. Joe and I, we're having the conversation a lot at the moment where there are things that we think, oh, you know, our, our mattress is a, bit, is a bit kind of, it's a bit old. We've had it for, I think, probably since we, we got married. And mattresses don't really last that long. It's just, oh, when we get a new house, we'll buy a new one. There's lots of things that, like, oh, well, this pan, when when we get a new house, we'll buy a new pan, or we'll buy a new chest of drawers, or buy blah, 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 blah. there's just so many things that are, are on repeat. That's the conversation we have again and again. But we know that those things will help us and temporarily will be good for us, but they won't ultimately make us happy. They won't ultimately satisfy us. And what Jesus is trying to make the point to us when he's telling us about not to put our money in money bags that fail but to put our treasure in heaven. When Peter's telling us that there's an inheritance laid aside for us is that there is something greater that God has for each and every one of us that will satisfy you eternally through all eternity And the wonderful thing is that it says in verse 3 that it's because of his great mercy, not because of your great deeds, not because you've saved your money really well, not because you've behaved exceptionally or even moderately well, but it's all because of his great mercy that we get to receive this inheritance that we as those who are outsiders who are unworthy who are failures in so many different ways we get to receive this inheritance each and each and every one of us who's a follower of Jesus we get to share in the riches of Christ in the fullness of God, we get to have some of that, we get to partake in that, this beautiful inheritance laid aside for us, and not because of anything that we've done, because we've received this new birth now, as those of us who are followers in Jesus, we're raised as sons and daughters of Christ, what Jesus has done for us, his death and resurrection means that now we're born into this new family now this new story I can now say I'm a son of God I'm a co-heir with Christ if you're, if you're an heir to the, to the throne or you're an heir to a fortune you know that one day you're going to receive that one day you'll get that position you'll get that money because you're an heir and yet the bible teaches that we're co-heirs with christ that means along with jesus we get to receive this wonderful inheritance we get to to uh, spend eternity as sons and daughters of god and it says here that this is all through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead the, the resurrection, if you want proof that what I'm saying is true, then you can read the story of what, of what happened. What happened to Jesus. How he, he wasn't just a revolutionary that died, and the story ends there. But the one fact about Christianity that people through the ages that have tried to argue that Christianity is false... The problem they always come up against, the elephant in the room, is the resurrection. Because there's so much proof that not only did Jesus die, but that he rose again. And if a man can be dead and can rise again, then you have to pay attention to that story. And we can look now at the resurrection as believers and know not only was that an amazing miracle, but... That means now that we've been raised with Christ, that now we've been raised into his family, into his kingdom. We have this assurance now because of what he's done. The passage finishes with this verse. It says, who by God's power were guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This idea of being guarded, what Peter's wanting us to see, is it's like a kind of a, a military guard. It's like a protection that you don't get past. It's this a, a solid thing. You can't defeat this. We're guarded in a permanent sense. And you can think, hold on a second. It says here that we're guarded through faith. And you can surely think, aha, uh-huh, this is this is the string attached. This is the contractual obligation. You know, if you if you were to, uh, if if a relative of yours did die, uh, you, there might be a will written, and there might be certain obligations for you to receive the inheritance, or certain things you'd have to do do for it. Maybe you were, uh, if you were say 14 or whatever, the will might say you can't actually do anything with the inheritance until you're you're 18 or a portion of it needs to pay for your university studies or whatever. Often wills will have a, a kind of a contractual obligation to it and you might think, aha, uh-huh, this, is, this is the trick that through our faith, that's the, that's the, that's the obligation. If, if we keep believing then we receive. That's what you can read this as saying. But the wonderful thing is faith isn't It's more than just us living lives of obedience. Faith is actually a gift from God. Faith is something that we receive from him. So any steps you ever take of obedience to God, that's Jesus at work. That's his power, enabling you to be obedient. And you can think, no, but I made that decision. Yeah, but behind the scenes, God's at work. So this faith that guards us that's as it says here this is the power of God at work to keep you to enable you to help you this is an inheritance completely of grace received only by what he's done and not what we've done and the question you might be asking is well, what is this inheritance? <laughs> I get to heaven and there'll be this pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. What is this inheritance? You see, all through the Bible, through the Old Testament, the people of God are promised this inheritance, which in the Old Testament is about land. It's about them one day going into, the, uh, into Canaan, the land of God, and there each of them will receive an inheritance. They receive land. But now... We receive a much greater inheritance than that. Because we don't it's not about us getting to Israel or anything like that. The inheritance that we receive is we get to be known as sons and daughters of God, that we get this wonderful salvation, that we get to know God. And that's even what the Old Testament teaches as well. We on one hand, the Bible says that we are God's inheritance. As in Deuteronomy, but the Lord's portion, his inheritance, is his people. We've been set aside to be the inheritance of God. And at the same time, God is our inheritance. We get to receive fellowship with the living God. You get to You get to be with God and to enjoy Him forever. And that might sound like a mystical thing that you can't get really get your head around. But I want to put it to you that there's nothing better or greater or more satisfying than that. Because this this yearning that each of us has for things, for stuff, for money, that desire you have for wealth and for money that you think it it will solve your problems, that all of us, I'm sure, can identify with that. What that is, is there's something inside you that wants to worship there's something within you that's made to worship and it's misdirected. It's chosen money. Or maybe it might, be it, choose, it might choose lust or power or all sorts of other things that our heart goes after in worship. But deep within us, there's this sense that we're made to worship something. And that can only be satisfied finally when we're worshiping God. And when you do that forever, that's eternal bliss and happiness. This treasure laid up in heaven for us this great inheritance that we have is this salvation that we get to be with God forever okay we're going to if you want to stand to your feet we're going to take communion in a moment let me just pray for us Jesus, we want to be, we want to be people that, that trust in you with everything that we have. We don't want to be people that trust with our words and then on Monday morning, life just returns to normal. We want to trust you with everything that we have. And it's a radical... Countercultural cultural thing and, and someone within us wants to argue against it but we know that there isn't any other way to live that will satisfy us that you've made us as worshippers, that's how you've created us and we want to worship you with everything that we have we want to fix our eyes on this prize, this inheritance this wonderful salvation that you've laid aside for us and I want, to, I want to take my eyes off of earthly riches. These things around us that call cool us, that tempt us, that try and say that they'll fulfill us. We want to take our eyes off of those things. We want to be, I want to be radical with what I do with my money and my finances. I want to give it away. because I know that you've got a greater treasure laid aside for us a greater inheritance that we receive freely by your grace I pray at the start of this year Jesus we want to be those that live radically for you that follow you that that do stupid things sometimes even (laughs) as acts of just abundant worship and praise God, we want to read your words. We want to hear the instructions of Jesus and take them seriously. We don't want to just brush them underneath the carpet. We want to let them speak into our hearts, even sometimes when they're uncomfortable. I pray for anyone here that's feeling a little bit uncomfortable, a bit shaken, that Jesus, by your grace, you gently speak to them. You let them know how much you love them and care for them, and you'd help them by your Holy Spirit to live radical lives for you. Not to try and earn anything, but just because it's the best way to live. Thank you, Jesus, for your abundant love for us, that you've given everything for us. We can say that the Lord looks at the earth and declares that it's his and all its fullness, and yet you've given everything for us. And we want to receive that in ours. Thank you, God.